Well, hello, 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 beautiful people. Happy Friday to everyone. Uh, <laughs> I am Alvin, and welcome to another episode of He Said, He Said, He Said, A Look at the World from a Seasoned Black Man's Perspective. I hope everybody has had a great week. Uh, I know that I have had a fantastic week, uh, especially after all this rain has come by and come through Washington, D.C. Sending out a big shout, big shout to everybody in New York City where it seems like you got more water than you had expected. So I'm hoping that everyone is safe uh, in New York City. Hello, hello. I'm waiting until some folks get up in here. Um, again, I hope you guys had a great weekend and we're looking forward to a wonderful show. The topic tonight is is depression driving your car? And we have a wonderful special guest with us tonight, uh, Stephen Welch. And he is going to, you know, lend his level of expertise to us and all of our questions uh, for tonight. So again, thank you guys for joining us. And you know what, without further ado, let me bring in the crew. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bosch Bodie and Saladin Dare tonight. How you guys doing? Hey, everybody. Hey, Alvin. Hey. <laughs> hey. You, guys, you guys look like you're glowing. I don't know. I don't know it's because it it's hot. It's hot and we're sweaty. I just got this old glow. With you just got this. Girl, it's working. It's working. And I, I, I'm going to tell the audience, I said it backstage. Our promo picture this week, it is just hot. I was like, whew. I don't know what it was. It just it just has that that look to it. I don't know if it's all the baldness or what. I don't know, but it is it is hot. But anyway, anyway, welcome to another episode, you guys. Uh, and I hope you guys are, are ready for tonight. Absolutely, and I'm loving the bow tie, Alvin. I mean, you look really good right now. I know well, both of you thank guys you. are great. Mm -hmm. well, you know this half dressing. I, if we ever do a live show where we have to be on set. I don't know. I might have to take a. I might have to uh, go get some therapy for depression because I don't know how to dress, <laughs> you know, in, in full clothes anymore. But I got a question for, for you guys. Uh, but before we bring on our special guest uh, tonight, I want to ask you guys a question uh, because something is happening, and it's about restaurants. Hmm. This week on my Facebook page, I posted in DC that DC restaurants, some of them are adding a 22% sales tax onto your final bill. Why? And they're doing it so that you won't have to tip. And they're also, I'm sorry, they're, they're doing it so they're going to do away with tipping. But the purpose of it is because um, bartenders don't get paid the same uh, hourly rate as servers. Servers get like uh, 17 to $22 or $15 or whatever, and bartenders get like $5 and, per hour and their tip. So they're giving everyone the same wage. And I didn't realize when I posted it that one, I was going to find out that other restaurants in other cities are doing it, but people had a lot of opinions about it. Okay. And, you know, me personally, my opinion on it is because I've been so and I'm gonna say slave mentality with tipping because tipping is not something that, and I've gotten a lot of history about it these days. I, I tip because I want, I tip, I tip to show appreciation for service. So if I don't have, for good service. So if I don't have to tip anymore, does that- They don't have to provide you with good service. I, and I, in, I, Italy, in Italy, for example, in most European countries, but I'll speak about Italy for a moment. In Italy, they charge what's called cuperto. So cuperto is basically you paying a very small fee to essentially rent the table. And cuperto is not 22%. It can be four to like seven euro, right? Mm -hmm. But 22% sounds a bit offensive to me. And, you know, I live in New Jersey now, but I've spent most of my adult life in New York City. And mm -hmm. just even recently, like celebrating friends' birthdays, we went to a French restaurant in Chelsea. I will refrain from saying the name of this place, but... Do not ever go there. It's on the corner of 19th and 8th Avenue. They treated us like trash. Wow. They treated us like trash. And what they did was we had a horrible experience. We were celebrating a girlfriend's birthday. They had to get up several times asking, can we get another round of drinks? 
where the birthday girl, we all have our food, but her food has not arrived yet. And our food is cold. And then finally, at the very end, they brought out a check for $60. So we thought that they were comping us, you know, to make up for all of the mistakes that they had made. They took our girlfriend's credit card, another friend, but then they came back and they had run her card for $700, <gasps> which included the gratuity. So I disagree with that policy about charging people 22%. If you're gonna charge anybody anything, it should be something like a cuperto, where it's a very nominal fee, five to $10, and then give people the, the, the allow, empower people with the um, decision-making power, whether they want to tip on top of that or not. But 22% sounds a bit exorbitant to me. And it's based on what you spend as opposed to just making sure that the person has a living wage, regardless of what it is that you eat. So I'm not sure that I really like that sort of percentage thing, yeah. as opposed to just raising the prices on each dish to a point where it allows the restaurant to pay a living wage. Yeah, it, it, it's a really good topic. And like I said, I, when I posted it, I had just seen it on the news. And so it just kind of struck me off guard because again, I, I'm, look, I'm 62 years old. I'm used to going out to dinner. I, I'm used to tipping, but now I don't have to. So it, again, my, my first question was, does not tipping you know, mean that I won't get the type of service that, you know, that, I'm, that I would like to get? That's exactly what it means. You know, so I just, I just want to make sure, but let me read something that one of our viewers, Kay, wrote to me when she saw my post. She said, tipping is rooted in slavery. Pay, pay workers a decent wage and tipping is unnecessary. I don't feel a customer has to incentivize a worker to give good service. That's what they should be paid for. According to USA Today, based on her research, the claim that tipping became uh, popularized by restaurant owners who didn't want to pay black workers after the passage of the 15th Amendment is generally true, though more context is help helpful. And, you know, and again, there were so many comments on that. So we may want to open that up to our viewers because it's happening in other cities, it, not just D.C., as I'm told. So I just thought I wanted to share that and, ha and get you guys' opinion on, on that. And Saladin, I'm sorry that that happened. I'm, I really am. Yeah. Yeah. What was the resolution? Mm, well, fortunately, my friend, she paid because... Uh, obviously, right, when we thought that we had to pay the full check, everyone threw their credit cards in. But when we saw that the check was $60, we didn't think that it made sense for everyone to split a $60 check. So Certainly. we said, okay, you know, my friend, you pay the check and we'll all contribute to the tip, right? Mm -hmm. But then they came back and we saw that they had charged their card for this crazy amount of money. Fortunately, oh she paid with her American Express card and American Express don't play so she explained everything to them very clearly, and they basically, um, they reversed the charge. Wow. And she demoed us back. But we went on their social, we went on all their social media platforms and blew them up. Wow. wow. And it goes back wow. to citizenship rights. Right. We have to go back to our Juneteenth show, but, you know, the restaurant is on the corner of 19th and 8th. It is a European restaurant, and most of the people who work there are European and they treated us like trash. And just to remind people, like the citizenship rights that European immigrants enjoy here, slaves fought for those rights. So show some respect. That's it, I'm done. <clears throat> all right, and and then it shall be. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, let me holler at a couple of people. Hey, yes, Derwin, hey, Derwin, hey, Karan. Karan, I cannot pronounce your last name, but thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Monica, hey, Tammy. Thank you all for, for, for tuning in tonight. Well, we are about to uh, get on with our show. Um, is <laughs> with, 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 with our show tonight, for which again I am extremely, extremely excited about our special guest. Uh, actually, I am not even going to uh, give him our traditional introduction because I want him to tell our audience who he is for our topic tonight. Is depression driving your car? So, ladies and gentlemen, please join, please welcome to the He Said, He Said, He Said platform tonight, Mr. Stephen Welch. Stephen, come on in. Hey, hey. how you guys doing? Hey. Stephen, hey. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for inviting me. This is a great opportunity to share and educate folks about 
uh, mental health, which I prefer to say mental wellness. And um, I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, and some of our viewers, well, I don't know if they need to know this, but I'm going to tell them, you know, everybody that we have on the show, we have a conversation with them prior to the show so that we, you know, can figure out how we, how the show is going to flow. Talking with Stephen was just like the most calming thing or, or conversation that I've had in a very long time. When I, when I left Stephen's conversation, I could have done the show the next day. That's how pumped up I was. So, Stephen, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for, for being here. You're welcome. Well, let us begin. Well, Stephen, let's start out, um, and if we could have you to please uh, introduce yourself and share with us and, and our viewers how you got involved with mental wellness. Okay, so I have to start with, um, as a child, um, I came to this country from England. My parents, Both my parents are from Barbados. And um, coming to this culture was a major um, culture shock. And I had a guidance counselor in high school that said, you know, if you want to talk at any time, you know, feel free to do so. And I found that was very, very helpful. My mom was a listener. And uh, I took a vocational class, a vocational test in undergrad. And it demonstrated that I would enjoy working with people. And it was true. I just pursued my education after that, completed a bachelor's, master's, and a lot of training afterwards. Very well, thank, nice. you. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'll just go ahead and jump right into it, um, Stephen. Um, in your practice, and this is a question specifically geared towards gay black men, in your practice, have you observed any common themes or patterns of trauma that black men may have experienced? Um, I think in general, uh, I think a lot of black gay men tend to be the only one at their level. So for example, if you have uh, uh, an executive and my client is uh, works, let's say I have one that works in one of the major banks. Mm -hmm. As you rise up the, 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 the ladder, black faces become less and less. It just so happens I run a black gay men support group and all of them fit that profile. Mm -hmm. So the microaggressions, salary differences, um, uh, I hope this doesn't put anybody uh, in a bad space, but black gay men and white women, there's sometimes a clash. Mm -hmm. So those can be just, just looking at the workplace, that can be traumatic. Yeah, I can speak to that because after George Floyd's murder, um, a lot of my, I work for a large global bank and a lot of our leaders reached out to me and um, the admin of a, a very powerful boss at my bank reached out to me and, um, and I, I referenced Ahmaud Arbery too. And, um, you know, she was saying some really crazy things to me and I was trying to rush her off the phone. And um, she finally said, you know, she said, before you go, I have to tell you one last thing. When you jog in your neighborhood, don't wear black wear bright colors so you look less threatening. And for me, that was a microaggression. And I just said, thank you for your call and hung up the phone right away. And that was extremely traumatizing for me and very insensitive. So I can, I can relate to that, what you just referenced. Can you, can you define what a microaggression is? So one example of a microaggression um, would be, let's say someone who happens to be non-black and touch your hair. Mm -hmm. I want to feel the texture of your hair or another that's assault. I'm sorry, it's assault. That's assault. <laughs> yeah, really. You know, but it's one of those microaggressions that some non-white people will feel privileged to do. They don't even think twice about it. Um, uh, another microaggression. Mm. Well, I think, you know, when you go into real estate, you want to buy a house or look at a, a property or some or something like that. Um, you could be steered from the home that you want into like another neighborhood where quote unquote, there's more people like you there, not that they're verbally saying it, right? but that's the practice of some uh, real estate companies. Okay. Well, that's when you like find out that's an aggression. One woman was sharing on a show that I was watching that her house was valued by a white um, uh, assessor. I'm not sure what the title is called. Appraiser. 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 And she had all pictures of her family, her, everybody's brown, 
right? A husband happens to be white. She went to another one and took all the black images, pictures down and just put up her husband's family. It was a praise of almost twice the amount. Yes. Wow. That's a micro a major microaggression, especially when you know that happened. Yeah, those actually sound like major aggressions as opposed to microaggressions. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, you know, because I hear the term a lot. I just want to make sure that I understood yeah. in, indeed what it was. Yeah. Um, well, well, Stephen, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, you know, on he said, he said, he said, we really value everyone's mental wellness, and you know, you're continuing that tradition with this particular episode, and. You know, we do create a safe space for everybody, and I do mean everybody. Um, my question for you is, why are members of the LGBTQ plus communities more susceptible to mental health issues? Um, yeah, that's a great question because there's so many points to this. Uh, number one, we risk being kicked out of our homes, you know, because there's not, uh, I, I want to say agreements, was a non-acceptance of somebody who identifies as part of the community. Number two, the closet. There's a lot of energy to stay in the closet when ideally you want to feel free. When you're in the, in the closet, you have to do a lot of code switching. Uh, you not, try not to be detectable as gay, or even if you do express yourself in a way that the, the wider community may say, hey, that's a little this or it's a little bit of that, mm -hmm. that's a lot of uh, anxiety that can be produced by that. And that's assuming that the person you're talking about is not one of those people that cannot pass. There are people Correct. who can pass and there are people that are part of our community that cannot, mm -hmm. uh, which brings me to kind of like to the follow-up question. Um, you use the initialism LGBTQ plus. Mm -hmm. I would like for you to add the I. Um, I'm an intersex activist, and I believe that there's a lot that can be benefited by adding the I and expanding the conversation mm -hmm. of the community to include that I. Uh, and I'd like to punctuate that by asking you, uh, what effect might it have on the intersex community's mental wellness by not being included in the common initialism of LGBTQ+. Well, well, Stephen, can I jump in really quickly? Vosh, pardon my ignorance, if you could just elaborate for a moment on intersex. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are gonna be doing hopefully a, a show soon on intersex, but intersex people are people who are born with any of many characteristics that put them outside of what is considered common for male or female bodies. Mm. It could be sex traits, it could be chromosomes, it could be any number of various things. And uh, by being an intersex person, often uh, those babies are operated on to make them fit into what is considered common for male and female. So right. us being able to have this conversation, adding the eye to the initialism starts and continues that conversation. So hopefully we can put an end to those surgeries. There are other issues as well, but in particular, those are the things that are really, really important. Mm -hmm. So my, again, my question is, how does being excluded from that common initialism, what effect might that actually have on someone's mental wellness? Well, it's like a general, um, uh, idea of the gay community having a certain level of stratification, mm -hmm. right? So the white gay male is as is at the top, and when you come when you come down the list, and when I say down, meaning how over time LGBTQIA etc. Um, came to be, the, the intersex is basically erased from that, mm -hmm. and so. Um, uh, so how that would affect that person would be as if they don't have an identity even within the community. Right. You can't help but have an experience of either anxiety, depression, isolation, feeling like there's no one that, that can relate to me. Um, finding a support group might be very difficult as well, depending on you know a big city like New York and maybe Maryland, uh, uh, D.C., that they make groups like that. And they are there are um, options out there, but there's not necessarily played up or encouraged or put in the forefront from the gay community as a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. So feeling excluded and actually not feeling represented or that someone is even uh, capable of even 
providing services to them if they're not even included in I'll go one step further, being erased. Yeah. Absolutely. Just straight up being erased. We don't see you. Well, I'm hoping you will add the I to your initialism. And I hope we can check back in with you uh, mm -hmm. to find that you have, because I think it's important. Yeah. Thank you for the I, answer. I, I can't wait to have this discussion um, or the, the show on uh, Intersect because um, the, I do have a lot of questions. I, you know, just off the top of my head, you know, I, when you were talking, Botch, and I know, I'm sorry, I don't want to get too far off the topic for this show, but when a, when a child is born, in my mind, he or she is born, he, he or she. So I don't know when the discussion begins. And so, and, and again, that, 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 that is my, my ignorance because I don't know enough about it, but that's the first question that comes off of my, my head about um, having a discussion uh, about intersex. Well, it starts with understanding that not every child is born as he or she. And right. opening ourselves up to the awareness of that is the best place to start. And uh, I'm glad that we create that safe space to have these conversations and for all people to be here to be a part of it. Absolutely. I love you, Bob. If I may, I'll say, go ahead. No, please, Stephen, go ahead. I was just about to say, uh, YouTube has tons and tons of uh, videos and documentaries on intersex. Yes. What it is, what it's not. Yes. And how it gets, how the range is an endless range of how that is um, expressed in one's mm -hmm. biology. Yes. And it's, re and it's yeah. reputable. It is, it is uh, good, inform I mean, true information, factual. Um, uh, would you say? We can't speak for everything that's out there, but there's a lot of great information and we will okay. continue to share it. And uh, we, have, we have a loyal listener to the show who is actually actively helping us find the perfect person to come and speak to us. So mm -hmm. I'm Fantastic. so excited of bringing this all to you guys. Fantastic. You. Well, I'd like okay. to switch gears just a little bit, Stephen, and um, ask you, um, do you think that reality television and social media has had an adverse impact on our culture? and how we interact with one another? I think so. Yeah. I think it's heightened um, body, dysmorph um, body dysmorphia. When you see people that are very, you know, endowed physically, um, selling supplements, uh, even looking at uh, using steroids. Um, I think it sets up an unrealistic um, standard mm -hmm. for one's uh, body. And I think even within the, in the gay community period, that that is an issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, just one I, slice. That's just one aspect of all of this. We could yeah. just talk about that probably for another hour or two, right? Yeah. Wow. I I think I um, over the course of the pandemic, you know, I I I have lived my life uh, actually for the last thirty years of my life uh, getting therapy. So. I, I'm in a place where I acknowledge a lot of things about myself. And during the course of the uh, COVID pandemic, I, you know, all of us have gained weight. And, and well, I shouldn't say all of us, but a lot of our bodies have changed, okay? <laughs> a, a, lot, a lot of our bodies have changed. And, you know, I never thought that, that someone who could shame me and I would feel the impact of it. And and I actually found myself getting depressed about that situation and had to do something to get myself out of it. It was able, you could call it a short-lived depression. But um, just hearing you say that took me back to that place last year when someone tried to shame me, but, uh, you know, because I was outside working out and they just thought that they could do that on social media and shame me. And I, I know they know now that was a big mistake, but the fact that they did and how I inter internalized what they did to me, it caused a, uh, for me, it caused a slight sense of depression. And so I, I have to say that, that that is real. Yeah, Stephen, do you have patients or clients that you speak with, particularly gay men who may have a sort of body image disorder that could be born out of you know, social media and reality television? And how do you uh, deal with those types of patients? Well, I don't specifically have anybody that kind of falls into that, those experiences. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times social media impacts much younger people. You know, so when you talk about bullying, it's not just pushing the kid into, 
in the in the schoolyard. It's about having all this images uh, online to just look at them. So the the guys I work with, I would say, are thirty five and up. Mm -hmm. So social media doesn't have that same impact as a younger person. So I don't have, I can't think of any specific example of like what you're asking me. Got it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Boss. Yeah, well, I mean, just sort of dovetailing what you said, Alvin, about the pandemic, I'd like to know, Stephen, how has the pandemic actually helped people's mental wellness? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, there's, there's um, a woman and her son uh, actually thrived during COVID. So, for example, her son, 14, was doing terrible in school. A uh, lot of distractions, trying to be with the uh, the uh, cool guys. Once it became that they couldn't go to school, had to work online. His grades went from B plus to A. Okay. So it was it, it was a match. And mom also prefers to be home. It was a match. So for some people, actually, did um, it was actually a plus. Yeah, I, I guess we've been talking about it a lot more too. Could you repeat the question? No, I said we've also been talking about mental wellness a lot too because people have been so isolated that the conversation has just been expanded on it. Yeah, the conversation has gone through the roof and that's another good thing is that people are finding other, uh, they're open to therapy. You know, you've got people like um, The Rock, Johnson, Megan from the Royal Family. Uh, Naomi Osaka. Uh, Naomi Osaka, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of mental health uh, counseling I think is a lot more uh, accepted. However, the stigma is still very much there, especially within the black community, mm. black and brown communities. I, would say. I I have to say to Vosh's question about what ways has COVID helped uh, mental wellness? I think that it has helped in a way that has made people look at themselves and even um, find. Uh, a lot of people have become uh, very artistic or if they had a, a what do you call it, a, um, a, a passion for doing something, um, COVID has forced them to deal with the fear of taking that leap into that, that next, um, that, 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 that passion that they had. And so some people have built businesses. And so, I mean, it is really, um, I think in that regard, especially in the black community, there have been a lot of businesses that have started since um, uh, since COVID. And um, I, I think that a person's mental health has to play into them, you know, again, taking that risk and deciding to do, uh, to, to follow their dreams. Can I jump in on that? Can I just mm -hmm. jump in on that? Just to give a personal example. Uh, I'm, I'm an artist uh, as well as a therapist. And I went through a very like uh, blank period, didn't create anything. When COVID hit, my art just went crazy. Just generated so many, I have like a 120 pieces now. Wow. And that came from, I guess, managing my own anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that happened. I also somehow learned how to cook from YouTube. That's how I manage my anxiety, Stephen. By cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And that, that contributed to my 12 pound weight gain. Okay. So, I'm not going to mention mine, but you know, <laughs> it's good to know I'm not alone. Oh no, you, you are definitely not, not, not alone, but I'm trying to leave you there. I'm, you're definitely not alone. Um, I'm going to switch gears because I saw a question that came up from one of our viewers. Um, and uh, Angela Connolly, if, if uh, Connolly, if you will, and her question was, I'm not being judgmental, but how do you see the biblical stance and being gay? Um, Angela, thank you for, for that question. Let me ask this question to Stephen first, and hopefully we can address Angela's question. Um, Stephen, um, does the black church hurt or and or help mental wellness? I think that was a, it's an amazing question. And again, we could be talking about that for two episodes with not That's a problem. Yes. And there'll be more. Bring it tonight. So let me just give it a quick Bring it tonight. Bring it tonight. Yes, bring it tonight. First of all, the, the church for Black people was the first mental health clinic when you think about it. 
it was the only place that we could feel free, that we could feel a sense of community, that we could feel a sense we're all speaking the same language because we go to this this church where we we practice. When you cry at a church, when you laugh in the church, when you get positive words from the pastor or guest speaker, it's a good feeling. But from slavery, that was the only institution we were allowed to build. If you if you go back and think about it, mm-hmm. so that's number one. I think is very helpful. Number two, I think when I think of um, one of my clients who uh, grew up in a Pentecostal church, they told him as a young person, nine, you have the gay demon in you. And they all had to put hands on him to pray the demon out of him. And now as an adult, it has a lot of effects on how he, um, he, he, he doesn't go to church. He just ha- he has a more spiritual background mm-hmm. um, and does writings on organized religion and how they help and how they hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I shared this with you, um, Alvin, when we were prepping for the show that uh, there's a there's a church in my neighborhood with one of the um, assistant pastors got a grant and the grant allowed for the parishioners to have four free therapy sessions with me. So their grant paid me, but the parishioner could come in for four sessions and not have to pay anything. So that was an example of how church and therapy can actually come together. There's, there's not many examples of that, but that would be a really amazing uh, thing if that was more consistent. But sometimes the church can hurt, sometimes it can help. Yeah. Well, and I think it's well, been around before religion. <laughs> well, so. so just to go back to Angela's question too, like, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah Wright received a lot of backlash and bad publicity during Barack Obama's initial presidential campaign. And Jeremiah Wright, you know, has a huge church in Chicago, which is where I was born and raised. And what a lot of people don't know about Jeremiah Jeremiah Wright is in the 90s, he wrote a beautiful sermon called Good News for Homosexuals. And the synopsis of that sermon is God made you as you are and God loves you. Whether you're gay or straight, God loves you. So that's my answer to Angela's comment or her question. Um, I, I received that. I, I am Pentecostal. I, I am a, I, I go to a Pentecostal church. Um, to my own question to you, um, can the black church hurt or, or help or help mental wellness? I'm going to say definitely both, but um, I have, um, I, I think that, you know, being in a black church, has allowed me to express myself, especially what, what I love to do, which is which is to sing. I have also been hurt by some of the comments and the the behaviors and that that I've seen uh, in in the Black Pentecostal Church as it pertains to you know LGBTQI people. It's okay to have them to lead your choir. It is okay to have them to direct your choir. It is okay for them to have your hair. I mean, to do your hair. But don't say anything. Do not be yourself. That is a mixed signal that I think hurts people in the black church because it makes you feel like um, I love you, but get away from me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need your help, yeah. but go sit down over there. And that 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 is one of those um, topics. Like you said, we could do a whole show on that. Um, but um, thank you for asking asking that question. Thank you, Saladin, for answering Angela. And Angela, thank you for asking the question. Yeah. So. <laughs> so thank well, Stephen, I have a question. As a sexual assault survivor, I'm curious, what percentage of the work you do is around black men who are sexual assault survivors? Um, I don't know if I can give a percentage, um, but I think I would say, just looking at one of my groups, I would say about 80% of the folks in the group have had some form of sexual assault. Wow. Uh, even the ones that would say, okay, I had sex at nine uh, with this woman, right? And they think it's like a badge of honor. When, then when, but when they come into therapy, for them to think that they were raped or that they were groomed, it, it was like such a foreign concept. Right. And so having to kind of uh, go through those those layers that, that you bury the memory to bring them out is a long process. 
but I think a good 80% of the black gay men mm -hmm. uh, had some form of sexual molestation. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it's with multiple family friends, <clears throat> family members, uh, and it's kept quiet on the down low, so to speak. Right. I mean, it's another one of those topics where the more we talk about it, the more people realize that they've been affected and that that trauma does indeed still yeah, factor into their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is also where, you know, substance use can come in to just kind of ease the, the pain, anxiety, anger, you know, all that could be a product of that trauma or multiple traumas. Mm -hmm. I I just find that and that Steven, I, I also is understand really that. high. Oh. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Solid. I'm sorry, it's, Alvin. Um, Stephen, I also understand that you do couples therapy, and yeah, my question is, what type of coping mechanisms um, do you provide couples who are perhaps deeply in love, but find it increasingly difficult to navigate their way to a healthy relationship? What type of okay. tools do you provide those couples with? Okay, I'll give you straight. Yeah, I'll give you three quick, um, uh, quick examples. Number one, if you're talking to each other, talk with your face to your partner. Sometimes you're watching TV, your partner's sitting over here, or you're playing with a video game, and they're talking to you, and you're talking back. That can make the other person feel very uh, insignificant. So when you just have a conversation, look at each other. Uh, number two. The first thing you want to really consider your partner as your ally and do those things that create a sense of unity. Mm -hmm. So what I do in my therapy, in my practice, you know, as I get to know a couple, I'll go back and give examples. Look, this is when you guys were pulling together. You know, like one of my clients lost uh, and his wife lost a baby at six months and the wife had a lot of depression. My client had a lot of anxiety, but I was able to 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 show him how the two of you have shown up together through the years. So they don't forget, oh yeah, I, I gotta remember when I kiss her and hug her, she feels better rather than me staying in the living room and not interacting. Yeah. And then there's another tool, it's called mirroring. Mirroring is when, um, let's say I say something to you, Vash, and I said, you know, the sun is up and the sky is blue, right? I will ask the listener, to repeat back exactly that. If I heard you correctly, you said the sun is out and the sky is blue. Because sometimes when somebody's speaking, you're already trying to create the answer. So you're not listening to the person. So that's just a very basic three things I could just throw out to, to you here. But that is a whole other show as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, we're gonna have to bring you back several more times. I'm seeing all these different topics come come off come off of the uh, this show. Um, on the um, topic of relationships, how do uh, relationships benefit? Though, um, I have seen some some relationships where where, where alcoholic alcoholism plays a factor. Um, I am a child of an alcoholic, and so a lot of my therapy was because of me being a child of an alcoholic. Um, I have been partnered with someone who was an alcoholic, and when I tried to bring that to their attention, it was actually, uh, you know, it, it was like, it was almost like someone had threw a bomb in the living room, and it just destroyed the whole entire relationship. Wow. And so do you, and, and, and again, and I'm, when you said mirror, that whole, the, the, the mirror, um, the, 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 the part of mirroring, I tried that. And so um, do you have many couples or many people, uh, yeah, couples that come in where alcoholism is a huge factor or major role in um, the problem that they have in their relationship? Not couples. Primarily, I will have individuals that are in a, that they may be using, okay, and how how it's affecting their partner. So mm. it's not like the main reason because just just to be upfront, if you have a chronic alcohol problem, therapy is probably not the best thing to do right off the bat. You probably need to go detox or rehab. Mm. 
right? Because you won't be able to remember what we're talking about. I remember having one. Actually, no, I remember one couple that he would drink before the session, and his wife knew that he yeah. was doing it, but she didn't yeah. say anything. Right now, if you're speaking to him, he doesn't yeah. look like he's drunk. Right. But her sitting next right. to him, smelling the beer, right. he he knows she's yeah. drunk. Wow. So when she would address that with him, he would um, manipulate the words. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Why aren't you cleaning up the kid today? It'll be just, it would just uh, bounce back to her. You know, it's a form of uh, uh, emotional abuse. Yeah. So if my job is to really assess if a person is appropriate even for therapy, if they have a substance problem. Mm. And I, that weeds people out. Wow, that's really good. <clears throat> Yeah, that's good. I have an ex who we did couples therapy together and he would have cocktails and smoke pot before the therapy session. And I would be like, what are you doing? Like, this is a waste I saw of time you smile. and, and effort. What's I saw point? you smile as I was saying that. I saw you smile because like you identified with it. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, what, what's happening? Right. You're not even so. Oh, I, I got you. Hey, I see a, I know we have a segment of the show where we, um, uh, that's called What Y'all Said, where we actually uh, answer the questions that our, our viewers are uh, comment, commenting on in the section, and Vosh uh, runs that segment of the show. I just, I just saw one question, though, Vosh, that, um, from Robert, and I, he said, should serious um, talks be held over the phone? And, and I guess this as it pertains to relationships. And so this was a, um, <laughs> a question to uh, Stephen. Um, I, don't, I, I think social media has, I'm sorry, I think social media has also played a part in the communication piece of therapy. People look at that or use social media as their therapy to iron out their differences. Uh, and that has, that has become very, very popular for the weak people, um, would you all agree? <laughs> well, well, can we just dial, can we just dial back? Because the original question sounded like um, he was asking, should serious conversations be held on the phone? Yes. So I'm assuming that it's your partner that you're speaking to. That's where my mind went. Okay. And ideally, no because you need to be in front of each other. Like I said in, in, the, in the beginning, like you need to be looking at each other, you know, reading each other's body language. Um, if, you're gonna, if you think you're gonna accomplish something on the phone, right. uh, it's less likely, I think in my opinion. Um, but the conversation could be initiated. I don't, I mean, I don't even think that it has to be uh, with couples. I think with any interpersonal relationship, Mm -hmm. um, at a certain point, a face-to-face -face experience is sort of better. One, because you're going to get uh, informal yeah. cues from the person. You're going to be able to see body language as opposed to just mm -hmm. hearing the person's voice. There's no room to hide. Yeah. Um, but we've gotten to a point now where not right. only is the phone a means of having deep conversations, but people have moved it to texting. And it's already bad enough trying to have I know. Uh, absolute conversation or absolute communication period when you can see one another. It's even worse when you reduce it down to a phone or even to text in certain words. Well, here's the thing too. What COVID has do done 100%. is, what COVID has done has altered the way therapy is done. Yeah. COVID has, has made therapy much more accessible. Insur mm -hmm. At one point, insurance companies would not pay for telephone sessions. Mm -hmm. Definitely not text, that's out of the question. However, now they are. Maybe not for the text industry. I don't know enough about that, but it is a it is a way of reducing barriers to get to a counselor. Yeah. So it, you know, so yes, the, there's this the nuance of being there and 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 watching the, the the behavior, the eyes, how you're moving. Yes, but in terms of the global idea of, th of therapy and counseling, mm -hmm. the insurance companies are saying yes to the phone sessions. They're saying yes to in person. The in-person is far more um, uh, preferred, but they are paying for phone sessions. And I forgot the name of the uh, company. Sometimes you see it on the subways, but 
they say that you could do counseling on uh, on the phone. Somebody responds to you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, counseling for sure. Uh, well, Keith J asked, what are some of the downsides of conducting therapy via televideo? Well, for some, you know what's interesting? I didn't really even think about this till right now. Sometimes when I've had clients that I've seen in person, but now we're doing it video, sometimes they may have an odor. Was it alcohol <laughs> yes. or uh, uh, grooming? Mm-hmm. Yes, which might have been a, an issue in the in-person work. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't know when the person comes in on the ca- on the screen, did they drink before they came in? I've clocked a lot of people. Shouldn't say a lot, but I've clocked folks say and say, "Have you been drinking today? I can smell alcohol in your breath." Right. Yes, I did. If you're on the phone, if you're on the video, I wouldn't know. Right. That's, That's one example. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I know we, we, we want to get to some of these questions that people are posting in the comment section, but, but Stephen, I have one final question for you, for our viewers. How does one find a therapist? Okay, um, I'll give you three, uh, three ways. Number one, psychologytoday.com. What's great about psychologytoday.com, you can actually screen if you want a man that's black, that's uh, gay friendly, that uh, that lives in Brooklyn, you can dial it all the way down to that and you'll get a list of people that may fall under those categories. Um, so psychologytoday.com. Uh, if you have a friend or relative or whomever has seen a therapist that you, you happen to know, see if they can give you a referral. Give me a couple of referrals. Uh, your own doctor, private practice, uh, I'm sorry, your, your doctor is also a source of referrals. I've gotten several referrals from my own, uh, my own friend's doctor who sent people to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are three examples. There's tons more. So we will, we will make How sure- How can our viewers get in contact with you, Stephen? Oh, okay. Uh, my email is S as in Stephen, P as in Paul. Welch, W-E-L-C-H, nine at gmail.com. That's the best way to reach me. And you heard him say it. I wasn't going to say it myself, but I'm glad Steven said it. He is an excellent artist. I have been following his work on Instagram. I'm sorry, yeah, on on IG. And I cannot wait until there's an opportunity for me to to purchase some of his his work. But (laughs) he is as good as he says. So... Stephen, thank you so much uh, for, for, for the discussion tonight on is depression driving your car? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it's time for our next episode. So I'm, I'm sorry, our next segment. So Foss, take it away. Yeah, like we've already been sort of interacting with people and listening to your comments and, and, and including you in the conversation. So um, we're about to go deeper into that. So uh, first of all, hi, everybody. Uh, hey. Glad you all are here with us all. Um, you know, hey, Angela. Brent. Hey, Brent. Yes, indeed. Uh, and hey, Alana. <laughs> High school friend Alana is online. Um, Tammy, Alana's online. You guys should make sure you talk to one another. These are high school friends of mine. Um, Angela has been extremely present in this conversation. Yes, uh, Angela asked about the judgmental biblical stance on being gay. But when we were talking about people having drinks uh, and things before therapy, she did have to say that marijuana is very important to her. So she had <laughs> to participate in that. Uh, Stephen, can, 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 can I just interrupt you for one second? Certainly. The person that was talking about, like she said, you know, the marijuana is helpful. But what's that? That what that's going to do is mask whatever she doesn't. She's not comfortable with. So that would, in my mind, that that would say, well, maybe she has an underlying uh, anxiety issue. Well, so we takes the edge off. But then, if you're not bringing your whole self to a session, then you're really not getting the benefit, full benefit of it. Well, this raises a question uh, because there are people who use uh, uh, hallucinogens and things in different types of therapy. Do you find a space and place for substances within therapy? Well, I have colleagues that do that, uh, but I don't have that experience. I don't have the, the reading, the knowledge about those things. But it tends to be, when I think about the colleague that I know, 
very much on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, that is an area that is growing. Yeah, I mean, so it is possible that using substances can actually indeed help the therapeutic process. It's just a matter of being guided through it properly. That's my understanding. I can't, I don't have enough knowledge to even speak on it. To be okay. honest with you. Right on, right on. Well, um, uh, when we were talking about social media, uh, Robert Blue, if you will, uh, says that social media projects a fake image of reality. That has been uh, really deeply affecting people's mental wellness. How can we get past that, Stephen? Limit the amount of social media that you expose yourself to. Whoa. That's well, the quickest answer I could tell that, you, because this is another, is. another thing that you could develop a whole show around. Yeah. <laughs> limit, same thing with CNN, MSNBC, Fox. Limit the amount of information that you're taking from that source. Is there like a healthy amount of time or would you advocate for like eliminating it altogether? No, I can't give you because one size doesn't fit all. Well, right I, I can I can definitely tell you after uh, 45 got out of um, out of the off uh, as soon as he left and I stopped looking at MSNBC every day and I stopped, you know, following the um, what do you call it? The the polls to see if, you know, Biden and mm -hmm. and and Harris were going to win. My life has been much better. I have calmed down. I've been more creative. I have I haven't been on edge. I haven't been like really angry. So there is truth to that. I, I haven't cut it out, but but you're right. You know, you just have to tone it down a bit. I don't know if mm -hmm. I can tone down social media though, but um I I, I, I don't I know if you can either, Alvin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, I use it. I, I use it as a source for he said, he said, he said. Thank you. Continue yeah. on, Bosch, please. Well, <laughs> Angela, Angela did respond. She says she has chronic pain and anxiety, which uh, I will have to say that marijuana is really good for helping uh, to alleviate. So it's all about using it medicinally, and I appreciate all of that. Um, Blue also had a comment. He says, I live by the Ten Commandments and not one speaks to homosexuality or judgment. Um, so as we go back to figuring out how the church helps or hurts our mental wellness, um, there is a lot of misinterpretation of, of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like the Bible, the Bible is a book of metaphors and mm -hmm. people, people take a lot of what the Bible has to say literally and and I, personally, I don't want to start anything here, but I, I also think that religion was created to subjugate and marginalize people. So a lot of the Bible is up for interpretation. And I think, you know, I'm a very spiritual person um, and I just try to treat people with respect. I show love, I show gratitude and I try to exude joy. And, you know, we just have to be kind to one another. I often look at religion when people start talking about religion, I sit, I have to mentally break it down there are monotheistic religions and polytheistic religions. So I start putting that into perspective because even under the monotheistic religions, there are those that use the Bible, there are those that do not use the Bible. And you start putting them into segments mm -hmm. to sort of get an idea of who the person is who's coming at you with this information. And then understanding that even within those that use that same book, the Bible, they don't all agree with one another. So uh, I kind of like say, you gotta all go back and right. talk to each other and come back with a unified message before I can start segmenting how I feel about or interpret how they feel about who I am. Um, can I just say? Uh, can I just say one? Certainly, thing? sure. You are here um, as a guest. Speak your mind. Uh, you know, if you if you have any, did any of you watch 12, 12 Years a Slave? Actually, yeah. yes. I had a pulmonary yeah. embolism during that yes. movie. So one scene is the the slave owner. It's not even the slave owner. It's the the um, the overseer, he, no, I think it's the owner. Uh, on a Sunday, he would have all the slaves sitting, they ha he had all the slaves kind of like sitting on tree stumps or standing around, and he would be reading the Bible to them. And he could barely read himself. Right. So everybody thinks they're getting some something from this person, but it's a corrupted source. Plus, these are slaves. So right off the bat, what is the Bible going to do for you? But that's in the in during slavery. That's what the um, the slaves could hold on to. But at the same time, like you said, it create it was a it was a it was used to destroy and um, coerce. 
the black community. Mm -hmm. And if you go to any place where Europeans went throughout the world, it was their Bible first and then the gun second. And that's the pattern. And that's the pattern. That I've observed. Right, yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for commenting. There are still so many things that were said that we didn't get a chance to get to, but you know, we love you all and we thank you so much uh, for watching the show and for commenting. You always add such a special texture to the show. We appreciate you all. Well, thank you, Bosch. Uh, we have a new segment that we're going to introduce to, uh, tonight. And that segment is called What They Didn't Say. So if we could go ahead and uh, play the reel. Thank you. Good evening, and welcome to a new segment of He Said, He Said, He Said, called What They Didn't Say. Tonight, we're going to talk about what we were never taught about Black history in high school. But before I begin, I'm going to give credit to Ms. Frederica Lewis, whose information that was posted actually on social media, and we saw it, and we thought this is some good information that we want to share with our viewers. So tonight, we're going to talk about the Battle of Bamber Bridge in 1943. On June 24th and June 25th in 1943, Black American soldiers faced off with white American military police during World War II on British soil. Yes, you heard me correctly. Black American soldiers had to fight their own white American soldiers while in England, where they were fighting for the world. And you might want to ask why. Well, because the English town of Bamber Bridge and Lanshire was not segregated. So they treated the black soldiers like all other races. By that, I mean blacks were free to eat, to drink, to walk around and socialize anywhere they wanted to while back in America, segregation of blacks and whites still existed. So essentially, the American army went to someone else's country and demanded they adopted American racist practices. So when the American military police found out that their own black American soldiers were drinking at the same pubs as their white soldiers, they went in to arrest them. <laughs> But the people in the town of Bamber Bridge got mad about the treatment of black soldiers. And then they decided to turn their pubs into blacks only drinking pubs, the very opposite of what was taking place in America with white only businesses. Of course, this infuriated the American military. So guns went ablazing. And when word spread back at camp that black soldiers had been shot, Scores of men formed crowds and, and some carrying rifles. And by midnight, more American military police arrived, arrived with a machine gun equipped vehicle, ladies and gentlemen. So the black soldiers had no choice but to get rifles from British stores while others barricaded themselves back at the base. So now it was American white soldiers versus American black soldiers. This led to the unfortunate death of one soldier, injury of seven, and 32 convictions. But back in America, as, as it always is, the battle was hushed. It was not talked about because they didn't want the country to find out that the white soldiers were fighting their own soldiers, which would anger the black population and weaken morale in the country. Ladies and gentlemen, this was an important piece of history that a lot of you need, to, black history that a lot of you need to know about. So we thought we would share it with you tonight. You may read about other ill treatment of black American soldiers by their own army in the book Forgotten, the untold story of B-Day's black heroes at home and at war by Linda Herveau. Please go to the He Said, He Said, He Said Live Facebook page and you can get the link and definitely get the book. There's information in there that you want to know about because again, they did not teach us this in high school. So we were very happy to bring you this segment of what they didn't say. Have a good night, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs> 
thank you, 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 and thank you. special thanks to Vosh for pulling that together for me. He is a whiz, and and I'm just gonna say thank you to Vosh for pulling that together for me because he is a whiz. Um, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this concludes our show for the night. But before uh, we go, I have to give you the wrap up. Next week, we are going back to our manager your finance series, and this time, we're, we've already told you about you know, how you can become financially fit, but this time, we're going to help you build your financial plan. And yes, we are bringing back Mr. Randy Jones, Wealth Management Advisor from First Financial Group. You all loved him, and we are definitely bringing him back. And I also want to say real quick, thank you all for tuning in last week for our first cooking show. And if, if our producer can like pull up that picture of Mr. Um, uh, Saladin there. Saladin <laughs> made his own uh, crab, uh, his own crab balls last week from the show. So I just had to pull that up. I'm sorry to me to put you on the spot, Saladin, but that was such a cute picture and I'm sure your crab balls were great. So ladies and gentlemen, the words of the week before we close are, sometimes the greatest thing to come out of all your hard work isn't what you get for it, but what you become for it. And this is by Steve Maraboli. I don't want to leave, ladies and gentlemen, without giving a special thanks to Stephen Welch for being with us tonight. Stephen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, please, he gave you his contact information. Reach out to him. I, I'm like, I'm telling you, therapy can do you good. And so please reach out to Stephen. He would know better than, than I would. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful night, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of He Said. He Said. He Said. That's right, y'all. Y'all act like y'all forgot. Have a good night, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>